Welcome to the Real Estate Syndication Show. Whether you are a seasoned investor or building a new real estate business, this is the show for you. Whitney Sewell talks to top experts in the business. Our goal is to help you master real estate syndication. And now your host, Whitney Sewell. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Today, our guest is Josh Sterling. Thanks for being on the show again, Josh. Hey, thanks for having me back, Whitney. Now, if you're a longtime listener, you've heard of Josh before, uh, but believe it or not, he was on show number WS35, so almost a year ago, and I would encourage you to go back and listen to that, especially because of our topic today. I would like for you to listen to that and then come listen to this show if you if you didn't listen to him then, because he has experienced lots of growth over this last year, and we're going to talk about that transition that he's made and and how that's happened, what's happened, and and even some growing pains, uh, but, and, but just his success as well in this past year, but a little about him. He's the owner of Epic Property Management LLC, as well as several other real estate entities based in Southgate, Michigan. After a career in aviation, he shifted into real estate in 2009, and his focus now is on medium and large-sized apartment communities in the Midwest. As of September 2018, which that's that's probably as uh, our new it's probably as of today, right? And so you, you own 650. That was part of an old bio, but uh, as of today, you own 650 units and, and uh, worth about 70 million dollars, and also has 156 units under contract. He has added over 430 units in the last year to his portfolio. And I'm looking forward to hearing, hearing about this. So Josh, uh, you know, let's, let's dive right in. And I look forward to hearing about how you've done this. So let's back up a little bit, you know, or a year ago and, you know, let's, what happened, you know, what happened then to transition from, you know, where you were at to, you know, start building this larger portfolio. Yeah, you know, from uh, we we got started really good time back in uh, September of '09, and uh, started with single family, and and you can probably hear that that background on the old podcast, but it was very organic growth. It was mostly a lot of my own capital, occasionally private money, mostly on the debt side, not usually on the equity side, uh, or very very few of those deals. So it made for a little bit slower, again, more organic growth. And you know, a year ago, I think the our unit count was around three fifty or so. Right about the time of that podcast, maybe just before we made the decision, I wanted to shift into uh, a little bit larger projects and, and start raising more capital for that. You know, obviously that it's a capital intensive business, and so you're going to need some money to close these deals. So sat down and and you know I I realized my struggle to bigger and bigger growth was going to be the capital to close those deals. I knew my network was probably going to be a challenge for that. You know, I, I always believe you need three things to close a deal. You need the deal itself, you need the capital to close the deal, and then you need the management of the deal. And, you know, we had the management kind of on lockdown. That, that's what we do. We had some deal flow from some broker relationships, but I didn't think I had that network necessarily to raise that capital. So got to talking with a buddy and an ex-colleague of mine uh, that had a good, strong network and was uh, comfortable out raising capital. And we we teamed up and decided a, a way to divide up the uh, the GP, the equity split, and, and start growing that way. Um, so that led to something just under 450 units we've added here in, in the last year, mostly through the syndication model, raising capital. We raised about $10 million here in the last year and, and added you know, quite a few units. Okay. Well, there's so much there we got to talk about. But I go back though to, you know, you realize the pain point of, okay, if you're going to grow and grow faster or do bigger deals, you got to have more capital, right? Absolutely. And so you increased your team. 
right? So you, you added somebody that could specialize just on that. And, and now it probably even lessened the burden, I mean, on your plate, would you say? Yeah, absolutely. You know, to be honest, one of the things that I didn't like was out going out raising capital. I, I'd done it a little bit and, and I knew enough to know that I wasn't all that good at it. And I really didn't like doing it. I'm much more of an operational guy. I'm happy to to talk about it and share what we're doing, but the act of, you know, going out and not everyone's going to say yes. And I don't, I didn't really like that part of it. So I found somebody that, that, had the connection and, and had the network that I think we needed to, to be able to present. Really, th- these are great opportunities as you know anyone who's passively invested in one of these deals knows. But I had found somebody who was comfortable presenting that to a network of people and then handling that investor relations side, which was just, you know, it was something I, I wasn't necessarily great at and something I didn't really enjoy doing. So it's a really great fit. Nice. So yeah, growing your team, I would agree completely. You got to find people and you got to be able to bring them on board. So uh, otherwise, you can't do everything, can you? No, absolutely not. And you know, I'm sure you've heard it a thousand times, but two minds are are much greater than one or or than the sum of one and one, right? Mm. Yes. I've seen that personally as well. That's awesome. And so, you know, I'd like for you to elaborate though, like on maybe a little more of the transition and any pain points or growing pains that you can elaborate on, you know, because you've scaled fast. Sure. So, you know, our traditional model was built uh, on mostly small to mid-sized properties and some it started with single family so we developed an operation that was basically a mobile management operation we we could you know within a 45 minute radius of one of our what's now three offices we felt that we could service really any size property so actually the management side wasn't so bad because as as you know once you're adding properties that are over 100 units they'll support on-site leasing on-site maintenance and whatnot so we actually found that to be a fairly easy transition I think the bigger transition was behind the scenes now overseeing, you know, those on-site offices and overseeing that team there and deciding how we're going to run operations that didn't fit into our, our normal systems such as, you know, weekend leasing or such as, you know, maintenance emergencies or things like that. What ended up happening is we had to scale the team quite a bit in the back office, quite a bit more than I had expected originally. So that came at a cost and at, you know, definitely a little bit of strain on the overall operations in the, in the initial months of getting that rolling. Okay. So overseeing the management was a pain point. And so, yeah. So elaborate, can you elaborate a little more on like how, what happened to, or how did you fix that problem? Right. So, you know, initially, um, as you might picture, you have a, let's say 150 unit apartment building. So you're going to have someone in there every day, uh, you know, leasing units, collecting rent, the office type admin stuff. Then you're going to have a maintenance person there. What we had taken for granted up to that point is our, our management operation is really a 24-7 operation. So out of our smaller properties, at our single family stuff that we oversee, if a call comes in on Saturday at 5 p.m., we still have someone there to open to answer the phone. Uh, we still have someone there, one there to uh, receive rent payments, to dispatch maintenance, whatever they might do. But at those you know 150 unit properties, you can't staff them 24-7. So you need to have a backup to that. You need to have um, somebody who can be there to respond, but also is not going to be on the payroll burdening that property the whole time. And so to come up with a way to um, provide those services and provide that level of service that we had uh, become used to across the board, but not burden the property with that amount of payroll and that amount of overhead was, was really the challenge. That's really where we had to work through and come up with new and updated systems to share resources. 
Okay. So, so even sharing resources, was that a way that you all, it's helped you to grow because now you can share resources you you already have. And like you said, you already have the management model in place. And sometimes that's a, that's a burden. Like if you're not used to, if you don't understand how to manage and you grow too fast, right? I mean, you, you're all of a sudden there's all kinds of things happening and it's way out of control. And yeah. so, but you all already had the management piece down. You already had a property management company, right? Right. Uh, right. And so, you know, at this point, you know, you're, you're growing and, and experiencing that growth, but now you, I guess you're having to hire more employees and now you're, the overseeing is, is becoming more difficult. So, yeah, and, and, you know, from the management operation, it went from, you know, really entry level type and then a manager type uh, role to, to really adding a whole nother depth, a whole nother layer of management. So we could oversee those other office managers all about. So it just added a lot of depth to the org chart and that just naturally is going to come with growing pains. Yeah. So other than management any, any other growing pains you can elaborate on? You know, the, the management and really the getting the properties on board was really the, I think, the most challenging part. You know, and I, I said earlier, there's, there's, I think there's three pillars in a deal. There's the management and the operations of it, which we just discussed. There's the deal itself. And that's naturally a little bit of a challenge in this market. You know, in the last 10 years, real estate's gotten a lot sexier, right? So there's a lot more competition for the same deal. But, you know, I felt that we were able to find a sufficient amount of deal flow through either the connections we had or through the reputation we had from closing deals. Um, I don't think that was so much of a struggle. And then, you know, again, the capital to close the deal, that was a a key piece that we really just put in place in the last year. You know, I I, I don't think we would have had the ability to raise the amount of capital we did had I not gone to that teamwork model where I, you know, I divided up the GP split uh, a little bit and brought somebody else in. Nice. And so where are your properties located now or or the last ones over this past year? So we're still buying um, Midwest deals, mostly Southeast Michigan and then Northern Ohio. Okay. So uh, really it's a range of about a probably a 60 to 70 mile radius from our headquarters. Okay. So all within driving distance. Yeah, it's, it's within driving distance and we run it with three different offices now. So the way we view our model is that uh, once we're within about a 45 minute bubble of any of the driving time bubble of any of those offices, we can uh, help supplement that operation. So it leads to what I talked about earlier, supplementing night and weekends and or also in periods of high demand. You know, so to get real technical on um, just one aspect of the management, you know, we found a, a niche in these mid-sized 150-ish unit properties that a lot of times we're buying them and, and the past ownership is running them with two leasing and two maintenance staff. So it's quite a bit of payroll. And that's a little bit overkill we find for 150 units. Maybe for 200 units, that would be that would be appropriate. So we're able to go back to one leasing person, one maintenance person, and then supplement with that management company in periods of high demand. Again, less overhead on the property. It helps improve that property performance drastically. And we find that the property runs very well still with, with uh, just the, the added help when needed. If you had to go back and do it again, would you have your own management company or would you suggest other people have their own management company? So, you know, it's it's tough. I really believe that management is key. I think it's the most important part of running the deal once you actually get the deal closed. I mean, that's that's all that matters, right? That's all you can... I've seen operators get in trouble because they don't control management. And so for me, I think I wouldn't do it any other way. You know, I made the decision to get into management, not because I wanted to, but because I felt like I had to way, way back in probably about 2012. I couldn't find an operator I thought could could run what we were running. 
the way we wanted it to run. Now, that was mostly, again, smaller and mid-sized buildings where they wouldn't support an on-site staff. So now that we're doing, you know, deals where they will support on-site staff, I think you could probably get away without the management if you needed it. But it's definitely a key. I think we can, for that example I just gave, we can really make our returns much, much stronger just because we have that, that control, that day-to-day operation of it. I couldn't agree more on how important the management team is. If, and no matter how good the market is, if you don't have a good management team there, whether it's third party or whether it's creating your own, you're, you're asking for trouble. You know, guys starting out, I get asked that all the time if they should start their own management company. And, you know, I think that's tough. It's it's a lot to put together, just like we talked about on the beginning of the call again. You know, it's a lot to put together all those systems and, and procedures and then try to really invent the wheel. And if you're also at the same time trying to figure out how to get into your first deal, it might be a little bit too much. I, you know, it's, it's very easy to, to get stuck in the analysis phase if you do that. But I think over time, I think if you, you really look at most of the larger operators, they are going to run their own management in-house. So, you know, taking a little transition to the, like some of the capital raising side, what's been the, the key difference in being able to raise that kind of capital this year? You know, so it, it really came to having somebody focus just on that. So when I brought uh, Barry on, he's again, he's a, a ex-colleague. I know him from a previous job I had and then really became a friend over the years. And, and when I brought him on, and that's really his focus, he, he handles all investor relations and all capital raising. So you know, I had an investor list of guys and, and gals that I had gone to in the past and, you know, had them either, again, invest debt or equity in, in deals. And then he had a network of people and just having somebody to work on that uh, day in and day out, it was huge. It made all the difference in the world. Nice. So we'll have to have him on sometime as well, just to elaborate on some of that. Absolutely. Yeah, uh, he'd be great to talk to you about it. Yeah. So, you know, tell me now, or, or let's talk a little bit about that, that management piece a little more in depth. And, okay. you know, how, how do you, you know, so you're growing that team, you're growing that management team, what type of, um, or, or how quickly are, or is your team growing compared to the properties that you're buying or the unit count? And you said, you mentioned that a little bit, but how quickly are, are you growing that team? And how does that relate to the number of units that you're buying? You know, so um, every aspect of the team on the frontline measure is pretty systematized. You know, for example, we look at uh, needing one maintenance person for about every 150-ish units, give or take. Uh, it's a little bit less if they're all in one, you know, at one property and a little bit more if they're spread out, you know, say amongst several small buildings, but about 150 units per maintenance person. Um, we find that with leasing, we can run more like four to 500 units per leasing agent and sometimes even more than that. You know, we keep a, in this market, occupancy is pretty high. So meaning turnovers is uh, a little bit less than maybe it would be with more vacancy. And therefore, we can spread that leasing agent a little bit thinner. But where I really noticed that we had to grow is in the management of those. So office managers, we had to add an office manager. I find that an office manager can really only oversee four or five people, um, whether it be leasing or cleaners or overseeing receptionists or something like that in our main office. Then we run, we, we added a level called a project manager that oversees our maintenance staff. And so again, a project manager can only oversee maybe four or five maintenance guys. And then we found that we needed somebody to oversee even the office managers and the project managers. So we added a director level. And so it just, it gets deeper and deeper as you grow, but it also allows each of those kind of components of the business. You know, we, we look at ours as a leasing side and a maintenance side of the business and allows us to almost run independently, but also have a point of one direct report they can go to so that they can communicate. What does your communication, you know, as the owner, like what, what does your communication look like with these team members? 
So my day-to-day is fairly limited, you know, to, to give you kind of a, a more direct overview of how we operate as a management company, we've got our you know, front level, which is going to, our front line, which should be maintenance, leasing, cleaners, receptionists, people that are on the front lines every day. They report to office managers on the leasing side or project managers on the maintenance side. That would be kind of our tier two level. And then above those, as I was mentioning, that the office managers and project managers report to a director of admin for the leasing side and a director of operations for the uh, maintenance side. And then those directors would really report to me. So my day-to-day now, we're, we're about 25 or so employees, maybe maybe 26. Um, my day-to-day is pretty uh, non-involved from an operational standpoint. It's basically if there's any type of catastrophe, I'm probably going to hear about it. But I track mostly our KPIs. We do a weekly KPI meeting where we're tracking anything from days to turn a unit to collections to uh, occupancies, leasing trends, all these things that give us a hopefully a leading indicator. For example, days to turn a unit is a huge leading indicator on what our performance is going to be a month down the road. Right? If we're not turning a unit, or our target's seven days, if we're not turning a unit in seven days or less, we're going to have an occupancy problem in a month. And so that's really where I come in and, and I run that uh, KPI check and we have a team leadership meeting with my directors once a week to make sure everything's on track. Otherwise, it's out there mostly looking for new deals. Um, and then uh, Barry's out there usually looking for the capital. Love it. No, that's awesome. I love the weekly meetings and the checklist and you're following the trends. So important. It doesn't matter what type of business, but especially in that business as well on the management side. And so you're you're able to forecast that or that we're going to have a vacancy problem. And so what would be something you wish you had known, let's say 10 months ago that you know now? You know, probably maybe even going back further than 10 months, I think it's really key to get out there and, and identify something that is a weak point for you. If for, for me, it was raising capital. If that's If that is your weak point, I think a lot of people try to improve where they're weak as opposed to focus on where they're strong and get somebody else to improve where you're weak. So if I could go back and change it, I'd go back five or six years and I'd start um, I, I'd focus on what I am good at, you know, the operational side, the, the management operation, and I would bring somebody else in that had the, a stronger capital raising background and, and go from there instead of trying to overcome something I'm not great at. So what's been the hardest part of the syndication process this year, maybe other than the capital? Uh, really, besides the, you know, the management team growth was probably the hardest part, I think. Yeah. The deal flow is just you're, you're a little bit subject to what's out there. You know, we can only, we're very, very strict in our criteria, what we can buy. I probably, I always joke that uh, you know, if, if we pass on 10 deals, I probably could have bought nine of those deals. You know, we pass on a lot of deals we could buy, but you know, again, we've got to be sure every deal we buy, we're, we're buying off current actual numbers. We're buying it off the current rents that we're getting today. We're buying it off expense numbers that we know we're going to operate at. So almost every expense line item, I don't care what they were running it at. There's a few specifics that we will take their numbers at, but most of these are, are run off our projections, what we know we're going to run a deal at because we're running other deals in the same market at those numbers. Um, so that's, it, it just that's definitely a big get. plus that you have being the, on the management side as well. Like you, you understand the insides of the numbers uh, better than, you know, no matter how well I study a market, I'm going to know it pretty well, uh, especially if we have other properties there, but just on the management side, you're going to understand how the efficiencies of being able to run it or the inefficiencies. Uh, yeah, it absolutely helps. And you know, a lot of our conversations with brokers go something like, no, we don't believe that we can get the 8%, 10% rent growth you're forecasting. And no, we can't run this property for $3,600 per unit per year, we know this type of property, we're going to run at $4,800 per unit per year. So it does help, but it also, we end up passing on a lot of deals. So a few questions before we run out of time. How are you preparing for this potential downturn, you know, that everybody's talking about? 
Um, okay. So, you know, I, I think that's kind of a crystal ball thing. I don't know that I wish there would be a downturn. Actually, that's where a great opportunity uh, lies. Something we, we've always done, I, I kind of just alluded to with our underwriting, you know, we're underwriting these deals off current actual income or less. We're almost never underwriting a deal off of rent growth. Even if there's a property down the street getting higher rents, you know, my one exception to the rent growth uh, rule is that uh, we call them self-comping. So if there's units in that building getting a higher rent, we may give a slight credit to the, to the uh, income number for that. But essentially, we're writing these deals as if they were going to produce the same amount of income that they've been producing or less. And we underwrote one a few months back where we projected $75,000 less per year in income. So I think that's a nice conservative approach that, you know, if something shifts in the market and, and occupancy or um, rent start to come down, then we've got a little bit of room there. And then, you know, as opposed to, had we projected a rent growth, you could be in a lot of trouble. And then on the expense side, you know, we've got a really good hand on what it takes to operate a building in these markets. And so we are projecting a conservative level. You know, a good example, uh, we always think in, you know, dollars per unit per year. But on a property we bought here a few months back, the seller was operating at $6,300 per unit per year in expenses. We knew we could operate at about 4800 based on all of our projections, comparisons with other properties. So we underwrote the deal at $5,400 per unit per year. So we've got a cushion amongst what we know we can operate it at. And sure enough, that property is running right about $4,800 per unit per year. So, so again, I think it gives a little bit of uh, protection in the downside just for that conservative underwriting up front. Nice. So tell me a way that you all have improved your business that we haven't talked about, but something that we could apply to ours, some other way that you've improved. Sure. Well, I mean, you know, we're, I think we're constantly trying to improve on all fronts. You know, there's, sure. I brought up the very first, uh, very beginning of the show, you know, the management side, we talked about a lot of the things we're doing to grow and add depth to the company that improves the operation dramatically. The capital raising side is improved by going out and adding a team member that can help go raise capital. You know, if someone's not doing that and they think they're weak there, that's a huge advantage if you can do that. And then on the deal flow side, it's really just, it's a constant improvement. You, you need to be out there and we need to meet with brokers and, go to, you know, local events and, and even sometimes national events we go to and constantly be following up with the brokers that we are getting deals from um, so that that deal flow continues because you need the deal flow to get the deal done. And what's one thing you would say has contributed to your success? You know, I, th- I think it's, it's hard to say just one specifically. You know, again, the management operation is the key. If I had to pick one thing, it'd be the management operation and it'd be closely followed by adding a source of capital. Awesome. And tell us how you like to give back. So I coach actually on the side syndication for another syndication teacher, a podcast provider. I'm sure uh, he's out there and you can find him. I won't give it away. I'm constantly meeting and, and helping with local guys. In fact, I've got a networking event this week that you know I find joy in, in helping other people get started. When I got started doing this, um, it was in the early days of like the bigger pockets. I'm sure most of y'all know about, and there wasn't help out there. So I, I get a lot of joy out of uh, you know seeing someone who's done a few deals um, that's out there really looking for how to turn that corner and go to the next level. You can reach out to me and and I'd be happy to chat and at least hopefully provide some guidance or or clue you on some of the mistakes I've made. I appreciate that, especially from your experience and the growth you've had. uh, It's great that you're you're able to provide that value to other people and help them. But tell the listeners how they can get in touch with you. Sure. Uh, You can reach me via email. It's josh at newmissioncapital.com. Don't go yet. Thank you for listening to today's episode. 
I would love it if you would go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. I want to hear your feedback. It makes a big difference in getting the podcast out there. You can also go to the Real Estate Syndication Show on Facebook so you can connect with me and we can also receive feedback and your questions there that you want me to answer on the show. Subscribe too so you can get the latest episodes. Lastly, I want to keep you updated. So head over to lifebridgecapital.com and sign up for the newsletter. If you're interested in partnering with me, sign up on the contact us page so you can talk to me directly. Have a blessed day and I will talk to you tomorrow. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Syndication Show brought to you by LifeBridge Capital. LifeBridge Capital works with investors nationwide to invest in real estate while also donating 50% of its profits to assist parents who are committing to adoption. LifeBridge Capital, making a difference, one investor and one child at a time. Connect online at www.lifebridgecapital.com for free material and videos to further your success.